0: All right. Well, again, thank you guys so much for joining us uh, tonight at New City Church, whether New City is your home, maybe you're visiting from out of town with family, or you're checking us out for the first time. Again, thank you for making us some of your Christmas season. Speaking of Christmas presents, I want to start with a story. Uh, when I was a kid, every year we would drive to Statesville, North Carolina. I grew up in Cary, and it was about a two-hour drive. We would go to my grandparents, for uh, stay there for a couple days. And typically, me and my brothers would go a couple days ahead of time, uh, but for every, and then my mom was on staff. My dad was an elder of the church that I grew up in, and so they would do their Christmas Eve services, and then they would come. For whatever reason, this year, we were, we were going with them all the same time, and it was Christmas Eve morning. We we're driving to Statesville, and so it's Christmas Eve. You know, there's more traffic, and about halfway there, my dad was driving, and he hits the steering wheel. He says, oh, shoot, I forgot to pack the presents. And you know, you're sitting in the back, you're sitting in the back seat, and I'm like, that is a problem, right? <laughs> and my dad, if you knew him, is very pragmatic, and he said, well, it's not a big deal. They'll just open them when we come back home after Christmas. And of course, my mom was like, no, um, that's not what you're gonna do for Christmas. You have to get the gifts. And so we turned around and what was supposed to be a two-hour trip ended up taking to be a five-hour trip. And as frustrating as that was, we got our presents because if you're a kid, it kinda is like the big thing that you're excited about. And so I share that story because again, as for me as a kid trying to get these presents, maybe from some of your childhood, and we think, man, what is Christmas gonna offer for me? Like, what am I gonna get this year? And that's the thing that you might be excited about. What I wanna do this evening is I just wanna take a few minutes. Instead of talking about presents, I want to talk about Jesus as we look at this question. What does Jesus offer? What is it that makes Jesus worthy of spending some of your holiday season here and uh, praising him maybe throughout the year, or maybe even your curiosity of like, what is this all about? What does Jesus actually offer to us? That's what I want to spend a few minutes looking at this evening. And so uh, if you have a Bible, will you turn with me to John chapter four, John chapter four, if not, there's a black one in front of you, it'll be on page 944, or if you do not own a Bible, we'd encourage you to take one of those black ones home, it is our gift to you. But if you'd like to read along with us, John chapter four, now what I want to do real quickly, I'm not going to read all of these verses, but we're going to read some and summarize some. We're going to look at a probably, perhaps for some of you, a well-known story to see what is actually going on there and what it shows us about why Jesus came and what he offers to us. Now, John chapter 4, there's a story of Jesus who encounters a Samaritan woman at a well in the middle of the day. Now, it is helpful for us to understand as we read this. I just want to, track with me just for one minute so I can explain some things to you. it's helpful for us to understand in the ancient world, first century Rome, Jews and Samaritans hated each other. They did not like each other. If you were to put modern language on it, they would view each other with racist and dehumanizing views. Now, if you're curious as to why, it's because it, when the Israelites first came into the promised land and created a nation, they eventually, eventually split. In the year of 722 BC, the kingdom of Israel split into two kingdoms, and you had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was then captured by the Assyrians, which is a, a growing empire, and when they were captured, many of, the, uh, many of the Israelites were kind of deported out of Assyria, and then many Assyrians came to live into the land those Israelites who remained in the northern kingdom then intermarried with the various Assyrians that took over the land, uh, began to live many of their lifestyles, adopt some of their religious practices. And so after the Jewish exile was over, and then many of the Israelites moved back into the northern kingdom, many of the Jews lived in what was known as the southern kingdom, looked at the Samaritans as political rebels. So Jerusalem was in the southern kingdom. Samaria ended up becoming the capital of the northern kingdom where they were kind of build their own worship sites. Uh, they were Use if you read the documents again. If you're modern, if you translate it into modern language, they would refer to each other as like half-breeds, like the Jews to the Samaritans, because you're like half Samaritan, half Assyrian. You kind of have, have changed the religious practices, and you've kind of incorporated some of their pagan practices into their worship of Yahweh, and so they viewed them as unacceptable people. And so the Jews and the Samaritans, they hated each other with racist vitriol. And we here see a story where Jesus is traveling through Samaria. He's meeting a woman at the the well, and he's going to have a conversation with her. So he's a Jewish man, a Samaritan woman, very opposites. They wouldn't typically talk to each other in public, and they have this conversation. We'll pick up the story in verse 7. It says this of John chapter 4. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. So it's important to note that it's in the middle of the day here. The first couple of verses tells us this. This woman comes to draw water from the well in the middle of the day, and she is by herself. Now, typically, women would go to the well to draw water in groups, and they would come either early in the morning or in the evening when it wasn't so hot. The fact that this woman comes in the middle of the day by herself shows us that she is someone who kind of feels like a social outcast. She doesn't have friends. She feels public shame, and so she's coming when she doesn't have to be with other people from her town. Now, Jesus is at the well. His disciples have since left to go into town to buy food, and Jesus is hanging out at the well, and he engages this Samaritan woman in a conversation. Now, it's important to note, this is not a customary thing. Jewish men, Samaritan women would not have talked to each other publicly. Now, again, this isn't like a moral issue or an ethical issue. It's just culturally, this is not something you would expect Jesus to do, and yet he starts to talk to her. He asks her to give her a drink from the well, and here's her response. verse 9. She says this, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Remember, we're supposed to hate each other. You're not supposed to like me, she asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Right, so Jesus here, again, he's breaking a social and a religious taboo, he's speaking with a Samaritan woman, and he's asking her to give him a drink from her own devices. Again, many Jews, first of all, they wouldn't talk to Samaritans, and they assumed that even the utensils that Samaritans used were unclean. So her cup, uh, her bowl, whatever she would use to take out of the water would, from the well would also be unclean. Yet, if you've been with us, we—we've the last couple weeks, we've been in the Gospel of John, and John chapter 2, Jesus' first miracle of turning water into wine, one of the things that we see happening in that miracle is that everything Jesus touches, he purifies. This is why he can touch lepers and those who are ritually unpure, and instead of him becoming unpure, he makes them pure. So he can take things that even people think are unpure or defiled, and he can make them clean. He makes unclean things clean. And so he asked her to draw water and to drink from her jugs. Now, of course, she can't believe that he's asking her for a drink. And then he responds to her by saying, well, if you knew who I really was, it would actually be you asking me for a drink. Now, again, this statement is actually a quite loaded statement. If you read the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, you see time and again that God supplies living water. In fact, there are various times in the prophets where it talks about that there's this idea that living water will flow out of Jerusalem. You see this in the book of Zechariah or the book of Ezekiel, that something's going to happen in Jerusalem that's going to give this ritual, this purification water to all peoples. And so if we're looking this night, this evening, at this question is, what does Jesus offer? One of the things that we see in this conversation with the Samaritan woman is this, that Jesus offers living water to those who don't ask for it. He offers something to people that they don't even ask for, even if they desperately need it. So so we're going to see here in a second, they're going to go back and forth and she's going to be kind of confused. What do you mean this water? Why would I ask it for you? And so he's offering her something though, that if she knew what it was, she would want it, but she doesn't even know she needs it. And yet he wants to supply her with it. Again, this makes me think of Christmas presents. I don't know if this, what it was like for you, especially when you were a kid uh, growing up. Um, my parents were really good at buying gifts. And when I say my parents, I mean my mom, because my dad was, he, here's what it was like in our household. Um, here's probably what if it's like you, if husband's, if you're married. Uh, I've got a meme I want you to see. On the left, it says, every mom watching you open Christmas presents. On the right, it says, every dad just as surprised as you. So that was my household growing up, and it's how it's even my household now. Christina buys a present. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. I was so excited for you to for you to see that. Um, this reminds me uh, when I was a kid. So we knew our Christmas list, and uh, a couple. This was the year that Razor scooters come out. Okay, if you're my age, you remember them. If you're my parents' of my age, you remember buying them. They were the ultimate ankle breakers. They were the thing everybody wanted. Um, that year they came out. I didn't ask for one. And it was a couple of days before Christmas after talking to all my friends and everyone's talking about this Razor scooter and how they asked for a Razor scooter and they can't wait to get a Razor scooter. And my older brother Jordan had asked for a Razor scooter, but I did it. So it was like December 23rd, whatever. It's probably the year we forgot our presents. So I'm like, yeah, we probably should leave those at home. Um, And I remember being just like really disappointed. Right, like, uh, I'm not going to get this Razor scooter. All my friends are going to get this Razor scooter. And so I don't know, again, what it's like for you and your household. For us, when we open presents on Christmas morning, it is one at a time. By the way, it's what you should do. So it takes more than like 10 seconds. And so we, we do the one at a time thing. Here it goes, one at a time. And then we got to probably the last gift. And it was something that me and my brother, we had our own, but we had to open it together. And won't he do it? Guess what your boy got? A Razor scooter, right? I didn't ask for it, hear me, but I wanted it, and I... Got it. What we are going to see in this story is Jesus is going to offer something to this woman, even to us, that even if we didn't ask for it or realize we needed it, he still wants to give it to us. So he offers this living water to people who do not even ask for it. And so again, he tells this woman, if you knew who I was, you would actually ask me for a drink. And then she responds and she's confused. Right? She's like, well, how can you offer me water if you don't even have something to get water from the well from? You don't even have a, a bucket. And then, and then she's like, are you saying you're greater than Jacob? She seems to be picking up on, well, maybe he's referring to something else. I'm not sure. And so are you greater than Jacob, who is the father of the Israelites, who, by the way, actually built the well that they're, staring, that they're standing at? Like She's confused. Real water? Are you like, some, like someone who's like, talking about something different? And then she says this in verse 13. This is Jesus' response. Verse 13. Jesus said... Everyone who drinks from this water, he's talking about the well, will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. So she's still kind of confused. She's like, Are you, I, I want this water. I don't have to come here ever again. Like, I don't have to come here by myself in the heat. Like, I can, like, stay home. It's like the ultimate Amazon Prime. Deliver it to my house. That's what I want. And so Jesus responds to her question. He's saying, if you drink from this well that I'm talking about, you'll never be thirsty again. But he's saying, Whatever, whoever drinks from the water that I offer will be satisfied forever. She's taking him to be talking about literal water. She's going to see he's actually talking about something else. Again, a lot of what Jesus is doing here is echoing prophecies in the Old Testament that foretold about a Messiah that he is going to make possible. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 55, it says this. It'll be on the screen. It's a prophecy about the suffering servant who we know to be Jesus. It says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters." And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat, incline your ear, and come to me here that your soul may live. In other words, what Jesus offers here cannot be bought, and it is also open to anyone, no matter your social standing, your income level, your history, whether you're a male or a female, whatever it is. In other words, another thing we see here about what Jesus offers is this. Jesus offers living water to those who can't afford it. So not even just for those who don't ask for it, but maybe you do want it. Even if you cannot afford it, he is willing to give it to you. That what he offers, it cannot be bought, it cannot be earned, it cannot be achieved by being a good enough person or promising God, hey, 2024, I'm going to do better, make better decisions than what I do now. Like, that is not what gives us this living water. It kind of makes me think of uh, last year, uh, my wife and I bought a house, we moved into a new house, we sold our current house, and it was like the heat, the height. It was April 2022, 22, the actual height of all the house craziness. Fortunately for us, we were selling a house, so like, it we able to make it possible. But long story short, the house that we got into, like, we shouldn't have gotten. Like, there are so many things that had to happen for us to get this house. We put so many offers on houses, whatever. One of the things, one of the reasons we got it is because the listing agent who was selling the house didn't do their job. So long story short, there was a couple at the time who came to New City. They've since moved. It was an older couple. And we actually really wanted to be in the neighborhood that we ended up buying. And they would go on walks around the neighborhood. And every time a house came on the market, they would text us a picture, like the for sale sign, you know, in the neighborhood. And I didn't say anything to them because it's like, you know, i was just trying to be nice. But I was like, we don't, we don't actually need these texts, like We've got the notifications, like we're checking Zillow every day. We've got a real estate agent, like we don't need. But I was like, oh, great, thanks. And so one day they sent us another one. And I was like, hey, thanks so much. And I immediately go on Zillow and it wasn't there. I like search online. I couldn't find it. Now, I'm probably going to butcher it because I'm not a realtor, but our agent told us basically the, the lady who listed the house listed it wrong the way you were supposed to do it, in, you know, I don't know, at some point in the past. And the only way to know is actually for sale. If it's like if you went to the MLS website and you specifically typed in that address. So like we put an offer on the house. They said the highest and best by Saturday. This was the time where you get one offer, one chance only. She didn't, the listing agent didn't fix the house until Friday night. So less than 24 hours before bids were supposed to be in. Now, I share that because the only reason we got that house is because the listing agent didn't do their job. Like, we would not have got it. We would have been out bed for sure. But because somebody didn't do their job, we got something that honestly we could not have afforded. And for us, as we read this story, we just need to realize that Jesus came because we couldn't do our job. We could not live up to the perfect standard of God, and yet he loved us so much that he came for us. Now, now you might be saying, how do we know that this woman can't, quote-unquote, afford it? How do we know that she actually isn't a good enough person? How do we know that she needs Jesus to do something for her that she could not afford or achieve or do on her own? Well, if you see her story, you quickly find out why. We continue to read. It says this in verse 15 again. Sir, this woman said to him, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Jesus responds, Go call your husband. He told her, he told her, and come back here. Now, this is just a helpful side note. Uh, Historically or or contextually, if you're gonna talk about religious matters to a woman in the ancient world, you would actually wanna talk to the husband and the wife because so many things in the ancient world went through the the, the man of the household and, and certainly including things like religion and like legal matters. And so what he's doing is actually a culturally appropriate thing. It's not that he doesn't just wanna talk to her, but he's kind of respecting how people did things in this culture. So he tells her, let me tell you about this. Go get your husband, come back. Let me explain to you what I'm talking about. Verse 17, "I don't have a husband," she answered. "You have correctly said, I don't have a husband," Jesus said. 18, "For you have five, have had 5 husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true." Sir, the woman replied, "I see that you are a prophet." Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, so this is the Samaria became, became the king of the, the capital of the northern kingdom. so they would often worship in this mountain top at Samaria. Our ancestors would worship on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. She's referring to, to the, she's referring to the temple in Jerusalem. Now, what we see happening here is that she, just like if you were with us last week, we read about Nicodemus in in chapter three, when when Jesus was talking about being born again, and he's confused, like, how do you, like, be born again from your mom if you've already been born once? She's also taking Jesus' uh, comments literally, and she's not fully understanding what Jesus is talking about. And so again, Jesus says, hey, go get your husband, come back here, and I will explain these things to her. But she doesn't have one. In fact, she's had five, and the one she's currently living with is not her husband. So she's not in a good situation. Now, again, I just want to say this. In the ancient world, the condition that this woman is in is probably literally just survival mode. Her previous husbands, again, she could not have asked for a divorce. So the reason she's been married five times is either her husbands have died or they have divorced her or a combination of the two. And in the ancient world, as a widowed woman, if you don't, especially if you don't have a father or a brother, um, to survive, you, you really can't survive unless you have some sort of male relative from which you can live with and do legal matters with and, and pay for things. It's just how the society was structured. So the fact that she has had five husbands and now is with another man, it could be a mix of poor decisions, or it could have literally been she was just trying to survive, so she did not have to live out on the streets. And here's the thing: whether or not all her, all her divorces, let's say, were justified, like maybe maybe all of her husbands died, and there was literally it wasn't her fault at all, it still would make her look like an outcast. The fact that she had five husbands, even if it was not her, even if it was not of anything of her own doing, so she looks like a moral outcast. And so she sees, however, something's different about this man. Like he knows these things that I haven't told him. And so she calls him a prophet. And then Jesus goes on to explain to her that there's a time coming when true worshipers of God won't have to go to wells like this one in Samaria or to temples like the one in Jerusalem. But you can worship God wherever you are. He said there's a time coming where anybody can worship Jesus or worship God anywhere. And then he says this in verse 25. If you look down verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. That means the anointed one. So she's like, I know there's gonna be a time when that happens. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Verse 26, Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Now, how much the Samaritan woman understands who Jesus is or what he's actually saying is debatable here, but she does mention that she's familiar with this idea of a Messiah and that when he comes, he's going to explain what all these things mean and this water stuff that he's talking about. And of course, Jesus answers her plainly here. He says, the Messiah that you've heard about, it's actually me. Like, Like I'm here to explain to you and to everyone who God is, why I've come and what it means for you. So they have this conversation, the disciples then arrive, they've arrived back, and they cannot believe that Jesus is having a conversation with a Samaritan woman, right? Again, to the disciples, they're like, why are you talking to those people, those people who don't honor you and and do evil things? Why would you talk to her? So they're upset with Jesus. But meanwhile, the woman goes back into town and she's super excited. She's telling everybody that this man, it says in verse 29, has said everything I've ever known. again, the conversation we have was likely longer than what we have recorded. We're just getting the highlights. She goes into town. Hey, this man has said everything that I've ever done. She starts telling all these people about this man, Jesus, who is at the well. And could he be the actual Messiah? So she goes back. The disciples are mad. He begins to teach his disciples about the mission of what he came to do of why he came and who he came for, and then we'll just skip down to the last part. Verse 39, it then says this. After this conversation Jesus has with the disciples, verse 39. Now many Samaritans from the town believed in him, that is Jesus, because of what the woman said when she testified, he told me everything I ever did. Now, hear me, don't miss what's happening here, that in this story, you have the outcast, you have the quote-unquote sinner, that is the one that God uses to draw a people to himself. The one with the broken past, the one who's full of regret, the one who feels like no one loves her. You know what, she probably even feels like God doesn't even love her. After all, she's had a husband after husband. If God loved her and cared, certainly her life would have been different. And yet this is the one, that God uses to change an entire town. Her testimony. Then verse 40, it says this, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said, verse 42, and they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and we know that this really is the Savior of the world. In other words, what's happening here is that some of the Samaritans, likely including like the town leaders or the town elders, they they go to this well, they they talk to this man, and then they are so blown away by him and how he explained things and probably the things that he knows about their own lives that they beg him to come back and stay with them, to teach them more about these things of God. Now, again, for us, it's like, oh, that's kind of cool. In the ancient world, this is a huge deal that the Samaritans are asking a Jew it's like, a, it's like a Carolina fan asking a Duke fan to come watch the game with him. Like, this is not something you would do unless you want to be enlightened. And, of course, that's something they, they, should, they should do. <laughs> but the Samaritans are asking a Jew to come back to the, with them and to teach their entire town who he is. And hear me, it is all because Jesus sought out a Samaritan woman who thought she was a nobody To transform an entire village. Or put another way, what does Jesus offer us? What we see happening here is that Jesus offers living water to those who don't deserve it to those who don't deserve it. Certainly, hear me. Certainly, this is what the disciples would have thought. They would have thought, why are you talking to her? Why are we staying with them in their village? We're supposed to like get the water, get the food, and get out of here quickly. And yet he's going to stay for people who haven't earned it, who do not deserve it, because he loves them. Now, Now, here's what I know, okay? We all have people or maybe types of people who we think don't deserve God's love. Here, even if you're a Christian here tonight and you're a follower of Jesus, there is likely somebody in your life or maybe a type of people who, if you're honest, you'd feel some sort of way if and when you see them in heaven. They'd be like, I mean, you? Like, how did that happen? Like, you might, like there's people, like, we, we, we might think, like, hey, we know God loves everyone, but I'm not sure that, that you have earned it or you're quite there yet. And what we see in this story as we begin to think about this Christmas season, that this is why Jesus came into the world. Not for some cool trick, not to simply teach us how to be good people, although he certainly did that, not to simply show us what love looks like, although he certainly did that. He came to redeem and to reconcile a people to himself. That's why he came. And so the last thing I just want to mention here that in John chapter 2, in John chapter 2, Jesus performs his first miracle. He's turning water into wine. And what that demonstrates is that he came to give new wine or to new life to those who need it. That what he offers is that no you can get nowhere else. And then you get this powerful contrast. In John chapter 3, oh you get this powerful contrast for the first two people in John's gospel that Jesus comes and reveals himself to In John chapter 3, Jesus talks to a religious leader named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was studious. He was powerful. He was respected. He was orthodox in his beliefs. In other words, he believed the right things about God. He was theologically trained. And then in John chapter 4, you get a woman who was unschooled, who had no social influence whatsoever. She was despised even by her own people in her own town. She was not orthodox in all her beliefs. Nicodemus, again, was a man. He was a Jew. He was a ruler. He had authority where he lived. He or she is a woman. She's a Samaritan, and she is a moral outcast. And look what I, right at me. They both needed Jesus. They both needed Jesus. They both, this is why Jesus came, that no matter how great you think you are or how terrible you think you might are, we all come to Jesus in the same manner. We need him to offer us something that we could not earn or achieve on our own. And so to that end, I want to share with you guys a video of a family in our church who have experienced some of this love and and grace and transformation in their own lives about how Jesus has impacted them. So would you take a look at the screens?
1: I'm Brittany Pervorce.
0: I'm Andy Pervorce. This is our son, Cohen.
1: And we've been coming to New City for just over a year now.
2: When we first moved here from California, um, one of our uh, priorities we wanted to take within the first month was to find a church.
1: The way that that came about really was through community group. We were fortunate enough to find one right away where we really gelled, I think, with the people there. So I think one of the things that comes to mind for me that made us want to stick around New City was when we first came, our very first service that we attended, afterwards we met Pastor Dylan and Christina and something that they said that I know resonated with me and I think Andy too, but they said that they were Team Jesus. And I was like, okay. But what they meant by it was that they wanted to help us find a church here that was gonna help us connect with Jesus.
2: It's not about a number, it's about just your journey and wanting to be um, a part of the church as a whole, not just this building. How has New City Um, helped us follow Jesus? Accountability, um, but also uh, just serving doing worship and something that I've been uh, very adamant about is not just taking a songs words for what they read out but diving deeper into the meaning and the purpose of what the song uh, represents Um, I'm not the best with words I'm not the best with prayer Um, I I've said it before that I read something and I have a very visual memory where I picture it and so being able to do that and um, that's gotten me closer in a deeper relationship with God. Um,
1: I remember, I don't know, maybe like a month into coming here uh, Christina approached me and she was like you are super friendly, you should be on stage and I'm (laughs) like what? (laughs) I'm not the type to be on stage, he's the one that goes on stage. I am passionate about being able to connect with people on an individual level and so i think it's neat that even if it's only like a minute or two after service being able to connect with people who i was in their position not that long ago i think like being able to connect with people and um like relate on that level has been really special about serving uh, a time that i struggled to believe or trust in jesus was actually just before we moved we weren't going to church regularly i feel like we just had a lot of tough things that happened back to back. Like it started with, I lost my dad and then COVID hit, which we all experienced that. I think I just was left feeling so numb after just feeling like we just got like battered like again and again and again.
2: During that whole time, it was, I felt like I was putting so much work into being a provider for our family. Um, Like literally blood, sweat and tears went into this job. Um, just to turn around and be let go like (laughs) in a moment Um, and just not really knowing what's gonna happen and just it was one more thing and it's like how much do I have to put into this Uh, we like to joke that my dog got me uh, the job that I currently have now uh, because I didn't have the time to do anything we were at a dog park friendly just my wife being the amazing nice person she is just started talking to some random guy and his kids and came to find out he worked for a company that was constantly hiring. They put in my application like a couple days later I had a job so it was a major blessing where it was just I needed I needed that hard time to actually come out of uh, like the rut I was in. Um, The way that
1: I feel like Jesus has proven himself faithful to me is definitely through Andy's story with kind of coming full circle with work. Um, But I also feel like just with the times where I felt like I was so unfaithful to him, and yet he blessed us in that moment. Like he didn't wait to bless us until we started attending church more regularly again. He didn't wait to bless us until you know I started my, opening my Bible more in the morning or praying more. Like, I can look back and see how he's come through for me over and over and over again. And you'd think I'd be smart enough to know that he'd do it again. It, for me, the most meaningful thing um, this time of year around Christmas is just looking at the faithfulness of God and how he's shown that through the relationships that he's sort of paved the way for, for us to have. Um, And for us, I mean, just how like our marriage has grown, Um, I mean, he was, you know, sort of dragged along on this adventure to move out to North Carolina, but was like my biggest fan about it and super excited and like, I feel like it could have been a totally different story and could have been resentful about the change. but. I think it's ended up being such a cool journey and adventure for us, and it's just like drawn us closer together. Our families in California are always shocked at how social we are (laughs) after a year. They're like, you have plans every weekend. It's It's like, yeah, we have friends. It's not even us. It's everybody else (laughs) just reaching out to us. (laughs) But yeah, it really is. It's just people being so like inclusive and so welcoming and um, just wanting to come alongside. Um, So yeah, relationships for me is sort of like the theme, I guess, of the Christmas
2: holiday what would I say is most significant about Christmas to me? I would say it recently changed. Um, and over this, this season at church, we, uh, we introduced this new song called "Manger throne and I think it hits even deeper because we just had a baby and that's the way that Jesus came to us. Um, Came in this innocent form. Um, and I think just now being a father, like, I see how fragile that is and how much that could have turned. If he did it any other way through his story, would have been able to connect with the people that he connected with. Uh, meeting the woman at the well, I don't think he could have done that if he came in horns blazing with an army. He met her where she was.
1: So it, it does kind of give a whole new meaning to like, our savior coming in that form. Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas, New City! New City.
0: And so, listen, um, by the way, kids are doing great. I'm almost done. And then we're going to play with candles. Um, as I close, I want to say this again what does Jesus offer? So, we've talked about this woman at the well, and we know this story is not just about her, it was given to us. Ultimately, what we see happening here is that Jesus offers living water to you, to you, not just to the Samaritan, not just to the religious leader, not to the person who knows everything about the Bible or the person who knows a little bit about the Bible even the people who know nothing. like You literally could walk in here like, I never even read the Bible in my life. This is who he came for. And so hear me. we can appreciate the lights or the family or the season or the gifts and we can enjoy even a Christmas service like this as well. But if we miss the point of why Jesus came, you have literally missed Christmas. It wasn't to make us feel better or to sing a bunch of songs. It was so that you and I can be reconciled to God. Even if you didn't ask for it, even if you cannot afford it, or even if you don't Deserve it. The offer is that God came in the form of a man, started as a humble baby to no-name parents in a no-name town to show us what it means to be loved. In the, the midst of your sin and your darkness, not sometime in the future, not in 2024, but tonight, tonight now. That like You can ask the Lord, you can repent, and, and just be honest about your need for him, and he will redeem you. He'll offer life to you. He will let you come in. Jesus offers living water to you. So again, as you go, however busy your next couple of days are, or maybe you'll be more chill, would you just reflect? I'm like, why? Like, why did he come? Why did he invite a woman who was so opposite of who he was and of his culture? He did this to show us that no matter who you are or what you've done or what has been done to you, he has come for you.